0: Would you take your Bibles and join me for a few minutes in John chapter 19. The Gospel of John chapter 19. We're not looking at an extended passage. Actually, we're looking at just one phrase. In the Gospel of John chapter 19, as we follow up a little bit and do a little bit more singing, last couple weeks we've been doing in our church here, if you're visiting, the seven sayings on the cross. And so I want to just deal with one of those this morning and then deal with the other one next week. But Maybe some of you heard the story this past week about the 8-year-old boy who drove to McDonald's. Did you hear about this? It's in Palestine, Ohio. Eight-year-old boy took his father's work van and drove all the way from their house, a mile and a half, down through main street of town, got to the, uh, to the order window, the drive-up window, and he and his sister ordered fries and a cheeseburger. And afterwards they were asked, How'd you, how come you did this? He said, because we wanted fries and a cheeseburger. And mom and dad were sleeping. Now what's more amazing is the little details of the story. The little details that come out that the, in order to drive, which makes it more amazing, he had to stand on his tiptoes to touch the pedals. More amazing is he followed every traffic law going through that town, that mile and a half going through town where there were several different intersections. After they left the driveway, they had to go down the street make a right hand turn onto Main Street and there was four different intersections where there were stoplights. He obeyed them all and he gets all the way there and he asked him, how would you learn how to do this? He said, I watched a YouTube video before I did it. (laughs) Talk about the different age uh, that we're living in. This youngster drove all the way, placed the order. The workers inside thought it was a joke that the parents were in the back of the van. And only did they realize that the kid was driving did they call the police. It's all those little details that make a fabulous story even more interesting. There's a fabulous story that we've already heard in song this morning and in narration. It's the rising of Jesus Christ. But there's a little detail, one little detail that oftentimes we overlook. It's mentioned in all four different Gospels. They make a point of it to make sure that we understand the large stone. The big stone was rolled away. It seems like not a major detail, but then you have to ask yourself a couple questions. Who rolled it away? The Bible's very clear about that. Matthew 28, that an angel rolled it away. My big question is this, is why was it rolled away? Was it so that Jesus could get out? The answer to that, my friend, is absolutely not. Jesus was able to pass through matter. Remember later that night? He walks through an entire wooden door. He didn't need the stone to be moved so he can get out. He didn't move it. So then why did the angel roll it away? It wasn't for Jesus to get out. It was for people to see in. People to know that this was the right grave. People to know that this wasn't a hoax, that the grave clothes were right there. It was to verify so that later on when leaders or others would give the false story, they could take them to the tomb. This was Joseph's tomb. This is the one. And there they have the evidence of it. And the disciples, that was so encouraging. At first they didn't understand, but later by the end of the day they're so enthused and excited to go out and tell everybody because they know that their master is alive. Now that's a far cry of the feelings they had just hours before that. A day and a half an hour reckoning, maybe a little over that. In Jewish reckoning, three days. That Friday afternoon where Jesus Christ was on the cross that we read about or heard about readings this morning. How Jesus was hanging on the cross and it was a sad time. It was a horrible time for Christ the sufferings that we heard, how he, was, how he was betrayed and then beaten and then hanging on that cross for the six hours. And he calls out during that time, multiple times, Father forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. They don't know the enormity of what they're doing. There's that call that he makes that is so distressful when he says, I thirst. It's not like, okay, I need a drink. He is dying of thirst, literally. That call that he makes in the middle of his sufferings, my God, my God, or Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, why have you forsaken me? The only time, the only time in his entire ministry on earth that he calls out God instead of Father when he's speaking to God Almighty. Because now he's enduring that separation, that hell that we deserve during that finite time He, the infinite one, was now becoming sin for us at that moment and separated as experiencing the hell for us, for our sin. Now during that time, he also made some cries that were of compassion and concern. Mother, behold your new son. Son, behold your mother. He gives that hope to that thief who's next to him dying and saying, today you'll be with me in paradise. But there's one phrase in John chapter 19 That is, to me, one of the most impacting phrases, words in the entire New Testament. It's where he says in verse 30, those simple words that we read in the English, it is finished. It is finished. Now when you study just that phrase, that phrase alone, it is so potent. It is so filled with thought. It's just one single word, by the way. In the original language, in our English, it is finished. Three. In the original language, it's just one word. Tetelestai. The word simply means to finish a task. It's from the word teleo that's expanded in their, in their verbiage. To mean the idea that I have completed a task, it could be used in multiple different ways. It could be used when the farmer is helping the sheep to do their birthing season, and now we're done, the season is over, it is done. Or it could be even somebody who the servant's been given all kinds of jobs, all kinds of orders, and goes to the master at the end of the day and says, it's completed. It could be done in a way when all of a sudden the priest makes the sacrifice for somebody. You hired the priest to go and make the offering. And he would come out and he would say, it is finished, it is done. Or it could be made of a payment and commonly used this way in the mercantile world, in the merchant world, that all of a sudden it would be, okay, paid in full, stamped, mortgage complete, stamped, no more due. It's a term with only one little word, but boy is it powerful, because That one little word in the original language is what we call a perfect verb. It means it is permanently finished. It is done totally. That is, it is not going to have to be redone. It is not going to have to be reorganized or or recompleted. It's a shout of victory. You see, Jesus didn't say, I am finished. He said, it is finished. The big question that you and I should be asking ourselves right now is, what's finished? What's the it that is finished that was implied? This victory cry that he calls out to the Father right before he expires and says his last words, our Father, into the hands I commend my spirit. But what is the it that he is crying out at the end of that six hours and say, it's completed, it's done forever, permanently it's taken care of. What? What possibly could he be referring to? Well, there's no doubt. He could be referring to his own sufferings, those agonizing Hours that he had on the cross, preceded by that brutality of being beaten with the crown of thorns on his head and the cat of nine tails. We know this that the suffering's finished, that's true. But there's much more to it. When he says it is finished, it could be referring to his service, his duties that God has given him. All that you have sent me to do, it is finished. And by the way, ever since he came to this life, he had an assignment. From little on, even when he was birthed, his father was told, you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. He had a mission. That mission he talked about during his own ministry, that I have come to seek and to save that which is lost. Is that mission now complete? Well that fits what he said in John chapter 10 where he says I lay down my life for the sheep therefore does my father love me because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. No man takes it from me but I lay it down. That idea of finishing his task. His service for God. It is now complete. His separation from God. That cry that he made where he says my God why have you forsaken me? That hours that he experienced where the father and he were not in tune with one another, where they were separated, that moment of experiencing the reality of hell being separated from God, it is now finished. It is done. It is not having to be done anymore. It is done for all eternity. I think we forget this. Satan's rule and reign over the human race. See, we forget that according to the word of God, we are under satanic influence in our normal life in whom the God of this world, describing Satan, has blinded the eyes of them which don't believe. That's where you and I used to be. A number of us did not grow up in churches that preached the Bible. We grew up in systems that kept us blinded so that we would not see the truth that Jesus Christ is the truth, the way, and the only one to come to the Father. Some of us we're raised in systems that are told we have to be this type of person and give this much money and do this labor and that labor and be baptized and go to church and know the 10 commandments. All those things are good. But we have been told that we have to do all kinds of labors. Who told us those lies? Who told us that one day we would be work, we'd be good enough to work our way into heaven, the god of this world? Satan who had blinded lest they would realize the glorious gospel should shine unto them. Paul writes in Ephesians, talking about us, In the time past, you, me, we walked according to the prince of the power of the air, that the spirit now works in the children of these disobedience, fulfilling the desires of the flesh. That's where we were. Many of us were in that type of of a lifestyle where we were dominated, we were ruled, we were oppressed, we we were basically captivated. And captive to our temper, our anger, our lust, our selfishness, our own greed. We weren't by nature good people. None of us are. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And we are under that control, that influence of the satanic world and dominion who runs this world, who operates, and Jesus says of him, he says, now is the judgment of this world, the day that he was going to be dying. He said, now shall the prince of this world be cast out. That is, he will no longer stay in power. Satan who thought he was in charge and getting Jesus killed, it was just the reverse. Because we read in Colossians, Jesus Christ who has delivered us from the power of darkness and has transferred us from the king into the kingdom of his dear son through his blood, through the work on the cross, we were transformed from being sons of darkness to being children of the light. He goes on, he says, having spoiled, that is taken away the power, taken away his ability, going in and robbing him, Satan, of, of his control, having spoiled the principalities and power. He made a show of them openly. He he beat them up. He he really trounced them when he was hanging on the cross, triumphing over them. We read in the Word of God these thoughts, that Satan's rule and power over the human race, that nobody has to be victim to an addiction anymore. Nobody has to be dominated by a greed, a lust, a desire. That was defeated at Calvary, but so was the sacrificial system. You see, in place at the time that Jesus died, there was this entire system that to come into worship, you had to go through a priest. You had to go to a worship center. You had to make animal sacrifices. You and I couldn't go on our own. We had to hire the priest. And in fact, not every priest could enter into that chamber called the Holy of Holies in the temple. Only the high priest, he could go in once a year. And that's where he made sacrifice and offering and pleas for all of the peoples to have forgiveness. Forgiveness on credit. That system. When Jesus hung on the cross, I think that's part of what he's talking about. This system of priests, this system of going through other people to to God Almighty, this system of having make sacrifices, having to do certain feast days and rituals, it is finished. It is done. There is no more need to have those celebrations, those holy days, those feast days. It's over with. You can go to God on your own and even prove the point when he dies, there's this huge earthquake that takes place The rumbling occurs, but in the temple, there's a ripping. That curtain that kept everyone separate from the Holy of Holies is now torn in two. This magnificent, huge curtain that couldn't be rent by hand was rent by the hand of God. To show that now you and I can approach God one-on-one, and what a delight. To know that at any moment we can pray, at any place we can pray, at any moment we can go to the Father and ask forgiveness, that I don't have to go through some priest or some preacher to have my sins forgiven. Now if you've never grown up in that type of system, I tell you what, it can be captivating, it can be dominating, because that preacher or that priest can say to you, unless you do what I say, I will not pray for you. And Jesus says, it is finished. It is finished. We can go to Him on our own. We can stand before God Almighty and have forgiveness and pray. All those things are done. Satan's domination. The sacrificial systems. His own separation. But I tell you this. This is probably the key idea. Salvation's payment. Sin had to be paid for. The wages of sin. Something had to be paid for sin. There's a consequence. The wages of sin is death. That's what God's word says. That death has the idea of separation from God. That includes all of our sins. Let me see if I can illustrate it this way. Colossians writes that he blotted out the handwriting of the ordinances that was against us. Which were against us then he took it out of the way nailing it to the cross. What is he talking about? The ordinances, the laws that were against us. Plural. He's talking with that idea that on the cross there was that sign Jesus, the king of the Jews, this was very common. When any criminal was crucified under Roman law, they would put a sign above the criminal, and it would be put above his head on that cross, and it would list the crimes that he is guilty of. And so when Colossians writes about it, he's writing basically saying, your and my sins were listed out spiritually upon that cross, that sign, and that's what Jesus was dying for. Our lies, our greed, our disobedience to our parents, our cheating, our, our breaking laws, our hatred, gossip, greed, some who may have been involved with adultery, some who struck others, every any sin is put on that cross, nailed upon the cross. And as he's there hanging, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? our sins listed there according to Colossians. The handwriting that's nailed to the cross. Your name, my name with our wrong actions, wrong ideas. And when Jesus yells out it is finished, all of a sudden there's the stamp, it's paid in full. Thank God that our sins were covered by the cross so we don't have to pay for them. Paid in full. What a glorious thought. What a wonderful thought that I am not going to have to answer to God for my lying, my cheating, my greed, my thoughts, my actions, my words, my deeds that were displeasing to him. They're paid in full. They're paid in full by Jesus Christ and there is nothing I could add to his payment. There is no way that I could do something better to just make sure it's all covered. Let me see if I can illustrate this way. Let's just take the word love. We understand the word love the love of Christ. Let's just add a little something to it. Just something to see if we can improve upon it. We'll just add the letter G. Does it change love? Does it all of a sudden move it totally? Does it all of a sudden give you a different concept? Let me let me take God's grace. And let's just take something away from it. Does it change the concept altogether from grace to efforts that you have on a marathon? Or tag? See, there's nothing we can add to what Jesus has done. There's nothing we can take away from what Jesus has done. His life, his death, his sacrifice was totally complete. There's a preacher who went preaching at the World Conference of Religions. He was from the Christian faith. And Dr. Cook spoke and he said to those, challenging those that he was speaking to. He asked a simple question. What in your religion gives hope to somebody who seems totally hopeless? The woman who was taken in adultery. What hope does your religion give her? I tell you the hope that Jesus gives. Because it's nailed to the cross, I condemn her no more. And he says, go and sin no more. That's hope. That's help. That's what we have as born again believers. We have the forgiveness of Jesus Christ that is totally done. That we are no longer separated from God the Father because of our sin. That it has been paid on the cross. It has been bought. Our salvation has been bought. There's nothing we can add to it. It was all by Jesus. It is all done by Jesus. My baptism, my church going, my preaching, my teaching, my Bible memory does nothing to improve, improve upon what Jesus bought for me. Fellowship with the Father. Eternal life. What a glorious thought. To know that Jesus Christ paid it all. And then after the payment was made, We've got that Easter morning message that Jesus rose again proof that God had accepted his payment. You know how you make your last payment? Some of you have done this. You made your last payment on your car payment or on your mortgage payment or on your school payment. And they stamp your receipt initially that says paid in full. And then a couple days later, a few days later, you get that long document that they tell you to hang on to because this is the deed. This is the proof. Well, a couple days after he was in the tomb and it was paid, God gives the long document by the resurrection saying, here's the proof. I accept it. It all paid in full. Well no wonder the disciples went out enthused and excited their master was not only alive but they understood that that meant that they had a message they could preach everywhere that Jesus Christ is the one who saves that Jesus Christ is the one who gives us eternal life that Jesus Christ is offering to everyone this day, this week that they can know they're on the way to heaven because Jesus is the one who saves because he died he buried, he resurrected and he's alive